Hi, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, our weekly roundup of ETF news and market analysis. I'm Daria Solovieva, Managing Editor of ETF.com, and I'm joined by my colleague, Senior ETF Analyst Samit Roy. And we're pleased to have with us Sal Gilberti, CEO of Tucrium, which is an ETF provider specializing in alternative markets. Great to have you with us on the podcast, Sal. Great to be here. Thank you. So we'll jump right into it because it's been a very tumultuous year for commodities market and wheat markets in particular. I really have a big picture question for you, for our listeners, uh, what it's been like for you this year and for the ETF offerings. This has been our, our busiest year by far. We're, we're 12 years old. We had this vision from the beginning that there were easy ways to invest in metals and easy ways to invest in energy. And I'm a commodities person. I think about food and energy all the time and always have. And couldn't believe there there wasn't a, a you know there weren't ETFs that were just agriculturally related and focused. This has been the year that we that I created the company for literally, where the world has awakened to how important food is. The food prices, which have been subdued, which were subdued for about eight straight years, have have also awakened with the inflation with the rest of uh, commodities. And investors have been very happy with our funds. Um, and this is why we put them out there. So the, the the mission of the company this year was kind of proven and fulfilled at the same time. It's nice to see. Well, it's a very optimistic note for us to uh, kick off on. Um, but I wanted to ask you also in terms of there's some progress. Obviously, there's a lot of volatility in the wheat markets. Um, and that, you know, in terms of the Istanbul Grain Accord that was signed last month do you see that as a step in the right direction in terms of stabilizing the markets and giving a little bit more certainty for investors it has done that i think that people should keep their eyes open to the reality that that accord was agreed to by russia because the black sea is where russia exports most of its food and i actually have a a document open on my computer right now that i'm starting to write titled one for you, four for me. And basically, if you just go by the official government estimates, Russia will export four times the amount of wheat that, that Ukraine does. And we think the Ukraine export estimates are optimistic. And we think the Russian wheat export estimates could actually be higher because Russia's had a record crop this year. Remember, Russia controls the Black Sea. Turkey controls the entrance to the Black Sea. So, you know, you've got the Bosphorus Straits and you've got the the Dardanelles. That's how you get into the Black Sea. Turkey controls that. You needed an agreement to get Ukrainian grain out of Ukrainian ports. But we think, quite simply, it's strategic on Russia's part to free up those ships. They claim there are over 170 ships trapped inside Ukraine and its and its tributaries, their waterways. Those ship owners are going to get very angry. Russia does business with virtually all of those ship owners. Russia needs everybody to be happy. The world needs those ships to get out of there. That's probably why Russia did this. You saw, you know, the day they signed the agreement, they bombed Odessa, which is the main exporting port. You saw the following week, they specifically targeted the head of Ukraine's largest and most profitable grain trading company and killed him and his wife in their home with a missile strike. Russia's not fooling around here. Russia's intent is to benefit Russia. Russia does not want Ukraine to benefit. Russia wants to beat Ukraine in this war. So, you know, the little bit of grain that's come out of Ukraine is helpful. The markets interpret as helpful. The real reason for that agreement is to open up Black Sea shipping, Black Sea shipping lanes, and get insurance rates to go down, get shipping rates to go down, because it benefits Russia 
minimally four times more than it benefits Ukraine. So as far as you're concerned, obviously, the two countries are critical to the global grain supply levels. That agreement still needs work. Or could you also give our listeners a little bit more context on the document that you're working on that you mentioned? So the, the agreement was to let the ships leaving Ukraine, it's specific to Ukraine. No warships can come within 10 miles of them. They are inspected, uh, ships going in and out to make sure they're not transporting arms and the food is coming out. And, and that's great. We're not losing the food, it's not being wasted. But let's back up. Ukraine is one of the largest exporters of wheat, one of the largest exporters of corn in the world. They will not be that anymore. That's not going to happen. So I think the, the grain accord is as good as it's going to be. That grain accord was to get ships out of the Ukraine. There's no way that Russia is going to allow Ukraine grain trade to resume that's not to Russia's benefit. And so if you if you step back and look at it, Russia's always either had or wanted the black soils that are in the Ukraine, and they're, they're unique in the world. Those soils are a very specific type of soil. It's the finest soil in the world. The United States has some of that. Russia's always wanted that. They had it when Ukraine became independent in 1991. Russia kind of lost direct control of that. They want it back. And they're, they're not going to lose that. So the bottom line is we're talking about winter wheat over there, which means it's seeded now. So you, you plant winter wheat late August and September and a little bit into October. It begins to grow. It's there in the fields. It goes to sleep during the winter. It wakes up in the spring and you harvest it in basically early midsummer. So that's winter wheat. That's 95% of the wheat planted in Russia and Ukraine. Russia is the world's largest exporter of wheat. Uh, Ukraine is always a top five exporter. Sometimes they're the third largest exporter. It's very important that those wheat supplies are not trapped, but Ukrainian wheat supplies are trapped. And what people don't realize is that the war started in February. The winter wheat had been planted and was already growing. So that wheat was waking up in February when the war started. That wheat, much of it has been harvested and it's now trapped because the prior year's wheat, which had already been harvested and was sitting in storage from the prior summer, so the summer before the February invasion, that is what's leaving Ukraine now in really small amounts compared to what it should be. And so Ukraine's not back up its shipping capacity. It won't be in the foreseeable future. We see no return to that. And we're still shipping out grain that was harvested last season before the war. The grain mm -hmm. that's being harvested now is, is literally being stored in the fields and being covered in the fields. That's not optimal. A lot of that grain is going to be lost. The shipping lanes are not going to be free. They're going to be minimally open like they are now. And we think the Ukrainian farmer who should be thinking right now about planting another wheat crop, we don't think they're going to. The Ukrainian ag ministry itself says that they could lose 30 to 40% of the wheat that would normally be planted will be shifted to other crops, maybe higher oilseed crops that are more profitable and maybe types of foods that, you know, like pulses, like the like um, legumes and lentils that can be consumed domestically. So Ukraine is altered for the foreseeable future. And by that, I mean the next two to five years, the world's going to have to get used to having less Wheat. The world still has that wheat now. When you look on the balance sheets that the USDA publishes for, for the U.S. and the world, we still have 
what looks like a really good amount of wheat in the world. And we do, but it's trapped in the Ukraine. Much of it is trapped in the Ukraine and it's not going to come out. So the, the Ukraine's farmers are not going to plant as much wheat as they have before. Next year, the numbers will start to shift when the reality sinks in and the world will get used to. So you anticipate that the shortages in Ukraine and the changes from the war would have an impact over the next two, five years. So Nobody has a crystal ball, but if you were to look at the impact this is going to have on the grain prices outlook, given that the you know the changes to the shipment that you're anticipating, what are you expecting going forward in terms of the prices? Okay, that's a big question. So farmers respond typically to high prices, and it only takes one season to replenish grain supplies because a farmer will plant what they call fence row to fence row. They'll plant every available space they have on their property. And Crops right now are, are priced so high. All farmers are making money. This is globally. And so we should see if the weather cooperates, and we, we'll get into that in a little bit, but if the weather cooperates, we should see farmers respond to these high prices and plant a lot. The unique thing here is that this year, the year we're in right now, the world is projected to produce more wheat than it's ever produced before. We're growing right now on planet Earth a record amount of wheat in one single season. And we're going to use more than that. So for now the third year in a row, the third consecutive year, we will use more wheat in the world than we grow. Yet this year we're growing a record amount of wheat. And if you if you let that sink in, you realize that, wow, farmers are responding around the world, even if you take Ukraine out of the picture. And they responded too, they grew their wheat um, because it was already planted before the war. Farmers grew a lot of wheat, a record amount, yet the world is using more than we're growing. So the, the balance sheet, the supply of is shrinking. The supply of corn is shrinking. For the second year in a row, we're going to use more corn in the world than we produce. And soybeans, two of the last three years, this year we'll actually produce more than we use, but the prior two years, we used more than we produce. So grains are really on a, a kind of a, a, a high wire tightrope type thing with, with supply and demand being balanced. And we've become accustomed over many decades to a situation where you either have plenty or you have enough. And by plenty, we mean plenty of stocks, plenty of excess, no supply concerns. And that's what we had until about a year and a half ago, call it two years ago. For the pr eight years prior to that, we had grain prices trading at break even. We had corn trading at the futures equivalent of about 350 a bushel. We had wheat around four to 450. We had soybeans at eight or nine dollars, give or take a bushel. Now, you know, corn is at 650 a bushel. Wheat's wheat's touched 13. It's fallen back a little bit. Uh, soybeans touched 19 or 20, and it's come back to the low teens. Beans in the teens. We're seeing higher prices than we've seen uh, in the last uh, couple of years, and that is because global balance sheets are tightening. And that is because, in general, we've by and large been using more grains than we than we grow. But the supplies that we have, which were plentiful, so we had plenty, now we only have enough. And people are getting a little bit nervous. And supply is not going to demand. Demand is not going to abate. It's supply that's critical. And weather plays a key factor in that. Weather has not cooperated very well this year around the world. And so the world could be in for more of a supply, uh, I don't want to call it a supply shock, but more of a supply conundrum on grains than it, than it has expected. And then we've seen in many, many, many years. 
we're seeing is across industries as well, the end of this, what the French president called the end of abundance era. Um, so that's really helpful background. I think he's right. One of the things that's affecting uh, grain prices, and you know, to answer your question, we were really high at the at the at the beginning of the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. Grain prices peaked, as did many commodity prices within the next several weeks after that. I'm not sure we can get back there again unless we actually have a supply crisis for grains, and that remains to be seen. Right now, people should be watching two places: South America for supply, Brazil can can really save the day here in their next crop when they plant they will be planting record amounts of both corn and soybeans and that is needed in the world argentina will likely try to plant record amounts of wheat because they're a big wheat grower down there that is needed in the world and china right now is in the midst of an enormous drought right in a very critical season for both their rice and their corn it could be a huge problem. China data and visibility is really hard. So if things are as bad in China as they seem to be, we could be facing a, a major food availability issue if China has to step into the global markets and buy more food than it's ever had before. And remember, only two years ago, China had a, an enormous flooding problem ironically, that wiped out their wheat crops. And they imported more wheat than they'd ever imported before. And that's what began to tighten up the global wheat balance sheet. That was the, the impetus for that. You know, they're the world's largest importer of soybeans, and they've begun importing corn now. When China starts importing something, when they began importing crude oil, they never looked back. When they began importing soybeans, they never looked back. They are now importing wheat and corn, which they, you know, you go back a few decades, they never did that before. Now they're doing that. And each year uh, over time, they, they import higher and higher amounts. And so China's a, a wild card in terms of the demand. The global weather is a wild card in terms of supply. Look to South America right now, particularly Brazil, as our saving grace, because the United States is having some weather problems. The crop tour is, is coming back as we've seen prices uh, recently rallying here in late summer because the U.S. is a little drier than we thought in the eastern Corn Belt and there won't be as much production. So grains are tight. They should stay tight longer than we expected. It generally takes one or two seasons to replenish. At this point, the global grain balance sheets are tight enough where it will take at least two seasons to replenish. I think we can expect higher for longer prices um, in grains for a while. Sal, super interesting stuff. I kind of want to turn now to your product specifically. We've seen some really nice big inflows into your wheat fund this year, WEAT, $345 million. That's much more than the $55 million we saw go into your corn fund and the $17 million that's gone into the soybeans fund. That's interesting to me since corn and soybeans have performed better than wheat this year. Is there any rhyme or reason to these flows? Headlines only. Investors just don't think about grains. We're mystified as to why someone wouldn't layer into their portfolio grains whose usage always goes up. I mean, since 1960, the combined use of corn, soybeans, and wheat globally is either a record every year or it's the second highest. So if it doesn't break a record, it's the second highest in history, and next year it breaks a record. That has happened every single year since 1960. There's no end in sight for that, and there's a very specific macro reason, and that is the growing middle class in countries that no one's ever heard of, or at least people in the United States never talk about. You know, there's a study, and it's on our website. There's a chart that was done that said between 2020 and 2030, 
about a billion people would enter what's classified as the middle class in the world. And in some countries, that means as little as $10 extra spending money a day. Now, that's happening around the globe. And when people leave sustenance living, so they're just buying food to stay alive and shelter to stay alive, and they get a little bit surplus income, the very first thing people do, and there are studies all over the place that prove this, is they increase their intake of animal-based proteins. To eat plant-based protein versus eating animal-based protein, you use a lot more grains on the animal side to feed an animal to get that same amount of protein. So people's per capita use of grains goes up the instant they begin putting more meat in their diet. And that is happening around the world. And it's happening to the tune of hundreds of millions of people. And nothing is stopping that, that nothing will stop that. And so you, you see this use of grains keep going up. And the next thing that happens when they get a little bit more money is they start to buy things. They use a lot of stuff. We always say they use stuff like Americans use stuff. Well, that's a lot of commodities. And so the, the demand for grains, which is used in everything, not just food stuff now, and the demand for other commodities keeps increasing with the rise in the middle class. It's a mystery to us why people, when grains, when farmers respond and they plant and grains sit at their break even, because the, nat, the secret of agricultural investing is that agriculture is subsidized by every government in the world. They don't want their people to be hungry, they lose power. So every Government in the world subsidizes its farmers, which means the natural state of affairs for agriculture is break even. And farmers have learned to operate at break even. So when you see, you know, the price of corn for eight years trading futures based between $350 and $4, you know that's the break even. Why wouldn't you put some allocation of your portfolio into that, knowing that at some point there is going to be a weather disruption and a supply disruption? Demand will not go away. Supply does. We always say no one stops eating their bagel in New York City if it doesn't rain in Dakotas and no wheat grows. They still eat your bagel. And so the price goes up and people are starting to get the hang of it. They're realizing that when they see uh, grain prices or any food price flatline, you just allocate to that in your portfolio and you wait. It's, you, you know, we say wait and wait. You wait it into your portfolio and then you wait over time for the supply disruption. And this is what we've seen happen. So to answer your question, Nobody pays attention to ags, or at least many people don't, more are. And what was in the headlines? Wheat, because Russia invaded the Ukraine. The two, the two countries that export the most wheat together, that account for the most wheat leaving their borders to feed other people, went to war. And so people paid attention to our wheat fund. Should, you know, did soybeans and corn perform better, as you said? Yeah, they did, but those things weren't in the headlines. Super interesting, Sal. And I really appreciate how you're emphasizing that prices aren't just a supply phenomenon. They have to do with demand as well, and demand's at an all-time high. And obviously, consumers are feeling the pinch from high food prices. So I kind of want to talk about that. We are seeing here in the U.S. double-digit food price inflation for the first time in decades. We have seen slightly lower grain prices compared to those highs. To what extent is this going to help bring down food price inflation? Remember, when you buy a box of cornflakes, the price of corn is really minimal. What really costs a lot of money is the box and getting the box to you and the plastic bag that they're wrapped in. And so, yeah, the price of corn's going up and it's going to stay. All agricultural products will stay elevated for a while because of fertilizer prices. Fertilizer, synthetic fertilizer, they figured out the formula to produce massive scale of synthetic fertilizer about a hundred years ago. The person won a Nobel Prize, their name's escaping me right now. 
but it comes from natural gas. So when the price of natural gas doubles, which it has, the price of fertilizer has actually doubled and tripled in a lot of places. That's your number one cost to, to growing crops. And so price of crops is going to stay elevated as long as the price of natural gas is elevated. Who knows how long that'll be? And it may get worse this winter as Russia squeezes Europe with their natural gas supply. So I think that when you look at inflation and food and when will we get relief, more towards the price of energy and natural gas to find your relief from food prices. And then you, you have to add a year because those costs have to trickle through the growing season. And remember, you know, grains are really unique. You plant the seed in the spring, whatever hemisphere you're in. Then you wait while it grows and then you harvest it. And then there's this big pile and you take from that pile all winter and you still take from that pile next spring when you put the seed in the ground because there's nothing to harvest yet. And you still take from that pile the next growing season in the summer while things are growing because they're not ripe yet. And you don't get to add to that pile for the following year. So you, you've got this year's delay with grain. So food prices are going to be elevated for quite some time, as I said, because just to catch up with supply where we need it to be, where we have plenty rather than just enough, which is what we have now. Um, and hopefully we don't swing into shortage if the problems in China don't get worse. If weather doesn't cooperate in South America this growing season, we have a big problem globally because they need to, to replenish the world's grain supplies this winter when, when they grow their crops. So you've got a year or two at a minimum of elevated grain prices. And it's worth noting that when you look at grain indexes versus stocks, in nine of the last 10 pullbacks of the S&P 500 of 10% or more, grains outperformed very significantly. Now, grains went down, I think, in eight or nine of those times, along with stocks, but they went down a lot less. And a couple of times they went up. So if you want to balance out your portfolio and you're looking for a way to stabilize your portfolio, exposure to grain is really important because, again, it doesn't matter what iPhone people are using or what the politics are in any particular country or, or anything. No one stops eating that bagel, no matter what. Whether it rains, whether there's a presidential election, whether there's a new iPhone out or not, it doesn't matter. No one stops eating that bagel. And so grain demand is really stable and that helps stabilize your portfolio. Well, thank you so much for joining us and your insights. We'll have to leave it there. Listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of Exchange Traded Fridays. And you can find all previous episodes of the pod on ETF.com and all major podcast platforms.